I'm in a little bit of a, of a rush this evening to get into teaching because this one's hot. And uh, I've been meditating on this one for a little while. The Lord's been giving me all kinds of revelation. On Sunday, he, he, was, he was even adding things to it, even as recently as Sunday morning while Mama was teaching. I was, I was trying to follow along, but I was all over my Bible because she would say something, and then the Lord would speak something, and then I'd kind of veer off and then come back into the morning message and then veer off again and come back. So I was writing furiously while she was teaching all the way up until the end. That happens sometimes. But uh, this one's been, we're going to get into some of the nitty-gritty. We've been talking about developing this prosperity culture for everyone that's in the room, everyone that's watching online. You know, I, I thank God for our online membership, our online viewers, the people who watch us all over the world and things like that. I never take it for granted. Um, we're making some changes here at Rapture that you'll be hearing about soon. And they're very exciting, and I'm very excited about them. Um, so just stay connected. I just wanted to say that. Sometimes we, we can get complacent if we don't see things changing. Because real change always happens on the inside before it happens on the outside. And sometimes it most of the time, the internal changes take longer than the external. The, the processes that have to be put into place to handle growth. You can grow out, you can grow beyond your infrastructure and you'll fall apart. Building an infrastructure where you can handle the growth that you're believing for takes more time. You gotta learn some lessons, you gotta, you gotta develop some character You've got to get some education about things. You've got to get a new perspective on certain things. You've got to come up with new ideas. You've got to get new revelation. And sometimes that can be a process of years, depending on what kind of warfare you're fighting and all the things that you have under your consideration. And then it looks like overnight, everything's different. When really, that overnight is just the manifestation of a long process of changes that have to take place. So a lot of things are going to happen this year that are going to change our profile as a church. And we say, we've heard that a lot, but we really haven't heard it. Uh, but I just want to encourage everyone that's attached to this ministry to stay attached and get more attached if you're not attached enough. Because as a ministry grows, as your church grows, opportunity grows. And there's going to be more opportunity for every one of you to do more for the kingdom through this ministry than ever before, because we're going to need you. Um, that was just on my heart. So anyway, let's get into this. We are going to talk, we're going to begin, I think this is going to take me two or three sessions, this particular part of prosperity culture, because this is the foundation for all of it. We're going to get into some of the more practical elements of financial kingdom finances and kingdom money management and all that good stuff. And tonight, we're going to open up with tithing. Tithing is not my opinion, but in my opinion, the most important of all the forms of giving available to kingdom citizens. Because without it, 
The other ones don't work. And without them, you are left open to destruction without tithing. And we're going to, we're going to, it's probably going to take me a couple of weeks to do this in justice, so don't rush me. Uh, because we've taught tithing since day one here at Rapture. Some of you that have been with us a very long time, we've always taught tithing. And we've always taught it, I'm going to say correctly, uh, great revelation has come out of this ministry regarding tithing. We're one of the, we've, we've been complimented before by other ministers about how everybody in Rapture tithes. And most churches don't have that record. Um, that's a powerful testimony for all of you. But just when you think you know everything about something, God reminds you there's plenty more to learn. So for those of you who are faithful tithers, this will be an encouragement. But it'll also be an opportunity for education deeper into why we tithe, why we preach it so heavily. Is it so that the church can make money? No. Um, I'm not going to waste a lot of energy trying to convince you that we're not money hungry. Uh, if, you, if you have a doubt about how we're handling the money, go somewhere else. Because you shouldn't have that doubt if you're going to come and eat at this table. If you don't trust the cook, don't eat. If you got a question about how the food is being prepared, ask the cook. If you're not going to ask the cook, Keep your mouth shut. It's that simple. We are, we're transparent. We're as transparent as we need to be. If you want more transparency, go to the Lord about it. Go to the Lord about it. Because if you're going to come and eat at the table, you shouldn't complain. Nobody's forcing you to be here. If you think that the Finances are being mismanaged some kind of way. If you have better ideas of what we could or should do with the money, we're open to hearing your ideas. But come with a heart receptive, because if you've never run a ministry, you don't know what it takes. And I, I don't like to fall back on experience alone, because experience does not qualify you for ministry. Only the grace of God does. You could be in ministry your whole life and not be qualified for it. So I don't fall back on, on experience. But I will say this. I've been in ministry my whole life. People have a lot of ideas about what it takes to operate a church on any level that have never operated a church a day in their life. And they have no idea what it actually takes. Because that just happens. We all got opinions about everybody, right? So I'm not going to spend a lot of time because, one, I trust the people of Rapture. I trust all of y'all entirely. I don't have any doubts or misgivings about any single one of you. And we, as the leadership of Rapture, appreciate your trust. We appreciate that you trust us with your soul and with your, and with your money. It means a lot. We don't, always, we don't always say it as much as I think we could or should, but we do appreciate your trust. Because it's a heavy trust that you put on your church leadership when you tithe. Because a misappropriated tithe comes back directly to you. And if we were mishandling it, it would reflect in your life. 
So you trust us greatly, and we take that seriously. I'm trying to get into this message, but I got to say what the Lord puts on my heart. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. I want to approach tithing based on the heart of God. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 1. It's going to be a little bit of a journey, y'all, so I want to start at the beginning, beginning. I want to approach tithing based on how God sees it, based on how he designed it, what it is and why. Because when you go to any church or you hear a message preached about something that's preached as a rule or a regulation, you have to understand something. Tithing is not a rule that we follow. We preach it because it's so ingrained in our lifestyle, because it's so necessary to our well-being. We preach it like these are the rules of Christianity. But tithing is actually something deeper than that. And to truly understand tithing, you have to go back to the beginning. You have to go back to the heart of God where tithing is concerned, to really understand it. Because you you can teach it as a Christian obligation. And people will obey it out of that obligation. But they'll miss the heart of it. But when you touch the heart of tithing, and you see how it connects to the heart of God, it changes not only your desire to do it and your willingness to do it, but it it affects what you receive from it. Because you are supposed to receive something from it. So let's just go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. And I want you to, I'm going to try to take my time here. I'm going to take my time and and try to be as thorough as possible. I know I gave y'all a lot of of writing to do last week. I hope y'all went back and watched it because I can only repeat it for so long. But I am going to try to go a little bit slower. I don't have as, as, as long a definition as I did last week, so that might help you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. Now, we know the story. God has made man, and God has made a garden, and God has put man in the garden. And God is speaking to the man. He says, and God says, behold, man, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. So God has given man every herb and every tree on the planet. He's given the man every herb and every tree on the planet. And to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I have given every tree for meat. So they can eat the trees too, but who has dominion over the animals? Man. God gave man total dominion over the animals, and he gave man total dominion over all the trees. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Now go to chapter 2, verse 15. We know this part. So God gave the man everything. He gave the man every tree on the earth. He gave him every tree. Verse 15, chapter 2, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden 
to dress it and to keep it, to care for it and to watch over it. That's what dress and keep means. He's responsible for that garden. And every tree in the garden belongs to the man, is under the man's care. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. Every tree in the garden, you may freely eat, except for one tree. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you do, you shall surely die. So God gives the man every tree in the garden. Every tree on the planet is under the care of the man. And the man is free to do with every tree whatever he wills, except one tree he can't eat. And so I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, why did you put the tree he couldn't eat in the man's garden if he couldn't eat it? If you didn't want him to eat it, why'd you put it in his garden? How much easier it would have been if he didn't have to consider the tree? Because if it wasn't there, he couldn't eat it. Now, if you're taking notes, and you should be, you may want to write this down. This is the Lord's answer. Excuse me. He said, I had a plan to make a good man. God had a plan to make a good man. To make a good man or a good person, I want to be politically correct here, to make a good person, you don't restrict access to evil. To make a good person, you don't restrict access to evil. You empower the person to choose, and then you trust them. To make a good person, you don't restrict access to evil. You empower them to choose, and then you trust them. Because the essence of goodness is this. I can do evil, but I won't. I'm reminded of when I first got my driver's license. That was a wonderful occasion. And at the time, when I first got my driver's license, the car that I was driving around in wasn't that great. And my dad hadn't too long bought a SUV. It was nice. It was in good shape. It was probably a year or two old at the most, maybe. I don't know how, how long we used it. It was pretty much brand new. So maybe a year at the oldest. I mean, he bought it brand new, but I can't remember how long we had it when I got my driver's license. But it was still in new condition. And I wanted to go to the rec center that was in our neighborhood. Now, the rec center was maybe a mile away. Could have walked. But I got a driver's license. I want to drive everywhere. I didn't know better back then. 
But they don't tell you, parent, kids, those of you that don't drive yet, what your parents are not telling you is that once you start driving, you will drive for them for a long time. I'm still driving my mama around. I'm still running errands for her. They don't tell you that. You get excited. You be ready. You think you're going to get free. And you are free. You get freer. But you get a lot of jobs all of a sudden. So he was like, yeah, go. So I went to my dad and said, Dad, can I take the SUV? Can I take the car? I want to go. All I had to do was get a new ID picture at their local rec center, a mile away from home. He said, all right, go straight there, get the picture, come straight back. I said, I got you, Dad. Hopped in the car. You, you know, you, put, you, you, you think you're styling because you think people are looking at you. Nobody's looking at you in your, in your mama's car. Nobody's paying you any attention. But you just feel like an adult. I hopped in it, drove one mile down the road. One mile. Parked it, got out, made sure I parked it good, got back in it, parked it right, then got out. Went inside the rec center. And I'm talking to this guy, and he's taking my picture and doing a little thing. Probably takes 10 minutes at most. But they had a piano in one of the rooms. I didn't know this. I'm, I'm meandering around because I'm only a mile away from home. And it's still, the sun is still up. This is in the evening. It's probably about 4, 4.30. Sun is still up. I'm only a mile away from home. I'm in my neighborhood. I can walk, I can walk home. I know where I'm at. I'm not lost. I'm not somewhere I'm not supposed to be. I could walk home from here. Not a problem. I said, I could spend a few minutes. I start messing around on this piano, and the guy hears me playing. And uh, he goes, hey, man, you play pretty good. Play something else. So I start playing, and we start talking about music. And next thing you know, two hours done going by. <laughs> now the sun's starting to go down. It's about 6.30 now. And my phone starts ringing. I had a Nextel phone. For those of you who don't know who Nextel, what Nextel was, Nextel was the phone to have back then. Because it had the chirp, it had like a walkie-talkie on it. That you didn't have to make phone calls, you just pressed the button and you could talk straight, straight through the phone to everybody on that network and they could hear you. And it was the coolest thing back in the day. And I had the little chirp on my phone and my phone gets to chirping and I hear my dad hollering at me, boy, where you at? Because you, first you got a chirp, then you got a message. So everybody can hear when you're getting yelled at, do your chirp. And I wasn't paying attention to what time it was. I said, I'm at the rec center. He said, you know what time it is? You've been going for two hours. Boy, you better get in that car and come back home. So I promptly got back in the vehicle. This is my first day driving by myself. I promptly got back in the vehicle and went home. Wasn't my car. I had a specific responsibility to go be gone for about 10, 15 minutes and come back home. Wasn't my car. But my father whose car it was, entrusted me with it. And because I was outside of the boundaries of our agreement, he was angry. He didn't know if I had gone somewhere else, where I was, who I was with. If I was safe, he didn't know. Because I was outside of the protection of the covenant that we had made. Because before I left, I made an agreement with him. I'm going to be gone for about 20 minutes. I'm going to come right back with your vehicle in the same condition that I left with it in. Because it's not my car. It's his car. doesn't belong to me, but he entrusts me with it. I'm protected within the boundaries 
of the trust that we have. But outside of it, if I leave the neighborhood, if I go somewhere else, I know how to get to. With his car, I'm not protected. Because his ability to foresee what I'm going to encounter is based on the trust that we have. I'm not a free agent to do whatever I want with his car. See, he knows what his car can and can't do. He knows what I can and can't do. And when I made an agreement with him based on taking his car, he blessed that agreement and nothing outside of it. Okay? God made an agreement with the man. He said, every tree on this planet is yours, including this tree. He didn't exclude the tree from Adam's control. He didn't take the tree away from the man. He left it in the man's garden. He said, everything in this garden is yours, including this tree, but don't eat from this tree. They have a covenant. He says, don't eat from this tree. That tree was the first tithe. What is a tithe? Now, we know the word tithe means a tenth part, 10%, right? But what is a tithe? A tithe is something that belongs to your covenant partner that's left in your care. It does not belong to you, but it is left in your care. The tithe is an act of trust between you and your covenant partner. We've spent a lot of time in the last several months talking about adultery. Pastor Diana and I did a wonderful job, if we do say so ourselves, talking about adultery. And one of the issues that Pastor Diana brought up and so masterfully preached on was what adultery does to trust in a relationship and how valuable trust is. Tithing has a very similar structure to marriage in that it is built on trust. You see, the government doesn't trust you. So they take their money off the top. When you get paid, they pay themselves before and give you the rest because they don't trust you. They don't know. Matter of fact, they do know. They know good and well that most people wouldn't pay their taxes if they had the option not to. That's why they scare you into paying it. Now, I own my own company. All of my income funnels into my hands before taxes is paid on it because I get paid through my business. All of my, all my streams of income funnel down into a central business. So I see the money before, before Uncle Sam sees the money. And then I have a payroll system that pays me, but I can decide whether or not I'm gonna run payroll this week and pay Uncle Sam his, his little bit, or whether I'm gonna keep it all. See, Uncle Sam don't know what I make if I don't tell him. But I'm an honorable man, so I don't cheat the government. But 
Uncle Sam knows what everybody else makes who doesn't control their own streams of income. They know what you make. And they take theirs off the top because they don't trust you. But see, God trusts you. God trusts you with his money. Believe it or not, your taxes don't belong to the government. They belong to you. You didn't enter into an agreement with the United States government to pay them anything. You weren't, nobody asked you. You weren't given an opportunity to opt out. The only way you got to pay in taxes to the United States government is to leave the United States. But then you got to pay taxes to whoever you go live with. You won't find a tax-free nation. You just grown up in the system, so you don't even realize it. But 100% of your money is yours. And there's a whole constitutional issue about taxation without representation, which is one of the tenets that this country was built on, and then we created the IRS and all that good stuff. But anyway, but God, his tithe belongs to him. It doesn't belong to you. But he trusts you with it because you have a covenant. God put his tithe in the Garden of Eden. If you're taking notes, write this down. Then he trusted man with it. Man's character would be developed by his choice to obey or disobey with the tithe. Man's character would be developed by his choice to obey or disobey with the tithe. Because that was the only commandment that man had with the stuff God gave him. God didn't tell the man what to do with any of his other stuff. When he named the animals, the Bible says that God gave the animals to the man to name them, and whatever the man called them, that's what they would be called. God told the man, every tree in this garden is for you. You can do whatever you want. You can burn it all down for all I care. It's your garden. These are your trees. I have one tree that I don't want you to touch. That's a tithe. And if you, one day we will do a Genesis study, and you find out that the Garden of Eden was actually a, a temple of worship. The Garden of Eden was created to be the meeting place from heaven to earth. Every time God was to enter the earth, he was going to arrive in the Garden of Eden. Had Adam not fallen and mankind propagated across the earth in the way God intended, we would go to the Garden of Eden and God and us would commune there. The Garden of Eden has an exact duplicate in heaven, which is why it's called the Garden of the Lord. The, gar the whole planet didn't look like the Garden of Eden. The entire planet actually wasn't paradise. It had the, the infrastructure to be paradise, the climate and whatnot. But it was actually not established yet. Adam, God planted the Garden of Eden so that he and Adam could have a temple to worship in. And then Adam was to spread his people 
throughout the earth, and we were to subdue the earth into the garden. We were going to take what the garden was and make the rest of the earth like that. If Adam stepped outside of the garden, there would be a noticeable difference between the garden and the rest of the earth. I'm trying not to go too deep into that, but the Garden of Eden was a temple of worship. It was the first temple of worship. And in the center of the temple of worship was God's tithe. See, it's important that you understand that. Because at the center of worship is the tithe. The tree's significance to the man was that it belonged to God. And it rested in the center of the place where God and man would meet every day. Mankind would come, at this time there ain't but two members of mankind, man and woman. They were to meet God every day in his temple, and God would come down and commune with them and share himself with them, and they would experience him. And God could partake of his tithe at his leisure, and they wouldn't touch it. Then God would go home, and they'd go about their business, running the planet and spreading the Garden of Eden across the rest of the world. If you read Genesis, when God finishes his work, the rest of the earth is in a dormant state. Only the Garden of Eden is finished. Because that's the hub. And then man is going to go out and finish the rest of creating paradise on earth. But man touched God's tithe as an act of defiance, rebellion like Pastor Diana talked about an act of rebellion against their covenant. That tree was extremely significant. It wasn't magical. People call it an apple. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. There's a good chance that tree, that type of fruit, doesn't exist anymore. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. That's irrelevant. What's relevant is the significance that it had to God and the man. In the center of worship, is the tithe. Why do you think we play music when we give our tithes and our offerings? It's not a church tradition. There is a spiritual significance to worship when you tithe because tithe and worship go hand in hand. There is a period of worship when a tithe is presented because it's a recreation of that place. It's why you tithe at church. It's why you come to church to bring your tithe. Because you are submitting your tithe in the place of worship. God never changed what he likes. He never changed his system. Because of sin, God had to create replicas of it. The children of Israel had a temple. They built the most beautiful temple they could. Before that, they had a tent called a tabernacle. And they made it the most beautiful tent you'd ever seen. But the purpose was the same. Let's create a place where God can come down, and we will bring all our tithes there. God will receive our tithes, and we will be blessed. And we are partaking of that same structure today. That's why the tree was in the garden. Because you can't make a good man if he can't do wrong. 
he has to choose not to steal the tithe. He ha it has to be his choice. You see, for, for man to be good, like God is good, he has to have the ability to do evil and the desire not to. He has to have the ability to do evil and choose not to do evil. Otherwise, he's not good. He just doesn't have any other options. God has to give the man a tithe to protect, a tithe to dress and keep. He has to give him something that's sacred to God that the man can recognize this is sacred to my covenant partner. And then the man's character is displayed because how you handle what's sacred to your covenant partner is a true test of your character. That's why tithing is so important. If it was never made a part of the Mosaic law, it would still be the single most important thing you could do with your money because it's an act of covenant between you and God. It's got nothing to do with whether it's the rules or not. You got to get past rules and regulations. One of the great anti-tithing positions that many religions take now, especially within certain denominations of the church, is that, well, tithing was of the law. Because Jesus said, it's of the law. You know, they quote Jesus, they quote Moses. And so therefore, when the law was done away with, so was tithing. This is the argument they make. But they don't understand, that's because they don't understand their biblical and their Hebrew history. They say, well, tithing was of the law, and we're free from the law, then tithing, we're free from that. What they don't understand is that thou shalt not kill the part of the law. You can't kill. See, some things predate the law because they supersede the law. The first, the tithing begins in Genesis, just like marriage does. Adultery didn't become legal when Jesus completed the law. Because marriage was created prior to sin. And so was tithing. Tithing has nothing to do with sin. It has everything to do with your relationship with God. Just like marriage. Had man never sinned, he'd still be tithing. Just like we still have marriage. But you try explaining that to somebody who doesn't want to tithe, and they'll say, no, it was created in the law. No, it wasn't created in the law. And I can prove it to you. Genesis chapter 2 is our first instance of tithing. Our second instance of tithing is also in Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 14. This was very familiar to us if you've been in rapture more than two weeks. Because if you've been in rapture more than two weeks, you've heard about Abraham. If you were here during the Dell Davis era, you know a lot about Abraham. That man loved him some Abraham. Genesis chapter 14, I won't read the entire, entire chapter. I'll give you the brief rundown, as brief as I can make it. I told you I'm taking my time. Abram and Lot, you know, they, Lot is Abram's nephew. God's made a covenant with Abram. He's made a promise to Abram, rather. He's made a promise to Abram, and he sealed it in a covenant that I'm going to make you a great nation, and out of you, the whole world will be blessed. 
Lot, sound, Lot said, that's not like a good idea. Because this moon we've been praying to, he ain't doing much for us. So we're going we gonna to try this new guy. So they go out together. Now, we give Lot a hard time. We talk real bad about Lot. The Lord was talking the other day about that. He said, you know, we ran, we, in rapture, we run Lot through the, through the ringer, man. We talk so bad about Lot. But had you ever thought, if you could be anywhere 6,000 years ago, if you could be anywhere on the planet, where would you want to be? Who would you want to be with? You'd be with Abram. There's nowhere else on earth the blessing of God exists except with this man. Lot was the second smartest dude in Genesis. Lot figured it out early. He said, this guy got something on, I'm going with him. That's not dumb. That's smart. I'd have done the same thing if I was in Lot's position. So don't, don't hate on Lot so much. Now, he, won't, he, won't, he didn't always make the best decisions. But hanging out with his uncle Abram was the best place to be because there was no blessing anywhere else. So God makes a covenant with Abram. I have made you the father of many nations, and through you, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And that word nations actually means races and people. So there's no divisions in color. Lot and Abram are so blessed, they got so many, so much cattle. Now, back then, they didn't have a nation. They were nomads. If you don't know what a nomad is, a nomad is a tribe of people that travels with the seasons. They, they, they live in tents, but not like camping tents like we think of. They live in great tents that are their homes. They're decked out, they're laid out. They tend to have wealth, but they don't plant farms and live in one spot. So we come from an agricultural society. You, 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 you find a, a patch of good land, you plant stuff there, you grow that, you eat that, you sell it, you live there, you don't move. Nomadic tribes move with the seasons. So when there was spring over here, they would pitch their tents there. And they lived there that entire season. They grazed their cattle there. They'd eat whatever grew there naturally. And then when the season changed, they'd, pitch, they'd pick up their tents and go somewhere else. And they could travel an entire circuit all year, wherever the weather was good. And that's actually how they mapped out the land of Canaan, because God said, go into Canaan and walk it. See, Abram understood that because he was a nomad. His people were nomadic people. So they walked Canaan. And it took a long time to walk the entirety of the land because that's how, that's how his culture lived, okay? So they're in this area, and they got so much stuff, the land can't support all their cattle. So Abram tells Lot, pick which direction you want to go in, and I'll go the other way. So we don't have no enmity, no strife between us. Lot chose the land near Sodom and Gomorrah. He chose it because Sodom and Gomorrah had beautiful land. It was absolutely beautiful. The land was rich. It was fertile. You could grow your cows there and live there. And there were cities there, Sodom and Gomorrah. These were not city-dwelling people. This was new to Lot. He said, they actually built cities. I can go into the city and live there, and I ain't got to move around no more. I can take all my wealth and just stay in one place and raise my family and this, that, and the third. Abram said, go. He went. Sodom and Gomorrah had some enemies with five other kings. The king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah got into it with five other kings. Those five kings got together with their armies 
and ransacked Sodom and Gomorrah and took all this stuff, including Lot and all the Lot stuff. Somebody got out at the end of the battle, found Abram and said, they took your nephew and all his family. Abram's got three other guys with him. He's got three kings of, of their own people that the Bible says are confederates with Abram. Plus, he's got 318 of his own servants in his house that are trained for battle. So he takes his 318 personally trained servants, plus his confederate armies from his friends, these guys that have partnered up with Abram, and they go back and they ransack these five kings. They set Lot free, they set the king of Sodom free, they set the king of Gomorrah free, and they take all their goods. They come out, the king of Sodom, as was tradition back then, hey man, you rescued us, all my stuff belongs to you, take it all. Abram says, look, I don't want any of it. He said, I made an oath to God that I wouldn't even take a shoestring of anything that belonged to you. He said, just pay my friends. The three guys that were with me that helped me save y'all and their army, he said, they had to eat, they needed provision, take care of them. He said, and I don't want any of it. But because it was all Abrams, he tithed because they met with Melchizedek, who was the high priest of God. Now, I could do a whole history on him. I ain't got time for that today. He represented God in the earth. And Abram found him, met with him. They worshiped, and then he paid him a tithe of all, the Bible says. That's five kings plus Sodom and Gomorrah's kings. So that's seven kings plus lot stuff, which was so wealthy that him and Abram couldn't live on the same land together. This is a massive fortune. And he tithed from that. And then he left the rest. He gave the rest back to Sodom, except for what they had to pay to Abram's friends. And Abram went about his business with the blessing of God on him. That's the second instance of tithing. We call it the first instance, that's the first time the word tithe is used, but that's just because it was specifically a tenth part. It's not because it's the first tithe. The first tithe is the tree in the garden. I want to make that plain, because what is a tithe? It is something that belongs to God that you have dominion over and responsibility for, that because you're in covenant with God, God entrusts you with it, and you return it to him. That's what a tithe is. And then later on, this practice is included. Included is such a soft word. It's more like burned into the law. So that the descendants of Abraham would never stop doing it. Because God didn't want them to miss out on Abraham's blessing which is what was happening when you read Malachi chapter 3. God is scolding them for neglecting the tithe because they've separated themselves from the blessing because they've begun to diminish the tithe and the offering. God's not, I want to put this the right way, he's not angry because he's not getting his stuff. They're doing the thing that Adam did. 
They're doing the thing that Cain did. Remember Cain and Abel? How Abel brought the firstlings of his flock, the fattest of his calves, and Cain just brought some of his stuff? See, that bothers God because it disconnects you. And then God can't bless you. And what God wants to do more than anything else is bless you. And the tithe gives him the right to do that in your life. Because it's you giving God access to you financially and in every other way. And when you deny the tithe, you're denying God the right to bless you. So he's not angry at them because he can't buy a new car. His, his dissatisfaction, his disappointment is coming from the fact that he can't bless his people because they're cheating him in his tithe. And when we cheat God in our tithe, that's where God's pain comes from. His hurt comes from he can't bless you. He went to the cross for you. He died for you. There's nothing he would deny you. The Bible says that. There's nothing he wouldn't give you. But if you don't trust him, and if you don't honor your side of the covenant, so you enter into a covenant with God when you took his blood. You took his blood to transform you and wash you clean of all sin. You want to go live in his house for eternity. But you don't want him to have 10% of what you think is yours. That's, a, that's an insult, considering what Jesus had to do to free you. It's an insult. You couldn't pay enough money for that cross. But you, you demean the cross when you withhold the tithe. It's got nothing to do with rules. I want us to, to not lose, but to evolve away from treating tithing like an, or, like an obligation. Because it's more than that. For those of you that are married, you shouldn't be faithful to your spouse out of obligation. Your faithfulness to your spouse should be your desire, your passion, because of how much you love your spouse. It shouldn't be a struggle for you to be faithful. It shouldn't be a struggle for you to be faithful to a covenant you made with that spouse. Just like tithing shouldn't be a struggle. It's not, oh, well, we're married, so I can't cheat on you now. And if you're looking at it like that, you're robbing yourself of the blessing of marriage. Your marriage can't be blessed because you're treating it like it's an obligation. Well, I signed this contract. I might as well do my best. I couldn't live like that. I couldn't live like that. And I don't want to live like that with God where the tithe is concerned. Because even if the tithe had no blessing attached to it, he died for you. Does he... See, God is so good that he's attached the blessing to the tithe to such a degree that you can prosper exponentially if you're a faithful tither. 
because it opens the windows of heaven. But even if it didn't do any of that, he still died for you. And if he had to put a price tag on it, I think 10% of everything I make is a bargain for not having to go to hell. I think that's fair. I think that's more than fair. That's the, but he doesn't even attach it to that. You see, tithing places your lowest form of wealth, which is finances, as a representation of your heart towards God. How you handle your money concerning God is how you handle God. You can't pray harder than you give. You can't preach harder than you give. You can't witness harder than you give. You can't do any Christian service beyond your giving because money is the cheapest thing in the world. It's the lowest form of wealth. And that tree, thank you, Lord. Let me tell you what the Lord said about that tree. I'm going to tell you why it hurt God. God gave man dominion over every tree in the earth. Remember, it's a tree. It's not special. It's a tree. There's a million of them in the garden. And man can have any one he wants. This tree doesn't taste better. It doesn't look better. It's a tree. It's not even the best tree in the garden. The best tree in the garden was a tree of life. There were two trees in the garden that were special. One was God's tithe. The other one was called a tree of life. The tree of life has a unique property in that it was what kept man's body alive forever. Tree of life also has a counterpart in heaven. When you eat from that tree, and we don't have any, it's not here on the planet anymore, can't find it, it's gone. There was only one, it was in the garden, and it's gone. But whenever man ate of that tree, it rejuvenated his flesh. One of the reasons why the man took so long to die is because he could eat from the tree of life. It's also the reason that God had to kick him out of the garden. When, when man sinned, his flesh was disconnected from the anointing of God. It was going to take a long time for that flesh to learn mortality. But it had to die. As long as the man had access to the tree of life, he could keep it alive forever. So God had to separate him from the tree of life. Read your Bible. It's in there. He had to get him away from that tree. Because as long as he could get access to that tree, any condition that his body would encounter that would kill him, the tree would heal it. The tree would keep him, Adam would be alive today in his flesh if he had access to that tree. So God had to kick him out of the garden into the rest of the planet that was not finished because it had not been made paradise yet. Read your Bible. So the tree of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil, wasn't even the best tree in the garden. It was just God's tree. The sin of man was giving the tree dominion over him. In Genesis chapter 3, the woman has been communicating, communing with the serpent. In verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, Genesis 3, verse 6, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Now, we talked at length the last couple of weeks 
about the value of wisdom, what it is and why it's so important in a prosperity culture. Wisdom is more important than money. There's a whole book of the Bible called Proverbs that preaches that point. And here is God's man believing that this tree can make him wise. She took up the fruit. She ate it. She gave to her husband with it. They have elevated the tree to a status it never was supposed to have. They have turned this tree into something it was not meant to be for them. That's what you do when you withhold the tithe. You elevate that 10% to what's going to keep you out of debt, what's going to solve this problem here or solve that problem there. You've elevated the tree to a position above its station. Now you're relying on your own wisdom and trying to get help from a tree. I'm out of time, unfortunately. I thought they had to go slow. This is only the beginning. This is just the opening. When we come back, we're going to try to put a cap to the best of our ability on tithes, because then we're going to get into the next part of giving, which, for those of you who are faithful tithers, I'm speaking to everybody in the room. You're going to really enjoy the next part, because it's going to open up how to grow from just tithing. Uh, I, don't even know, I don't even know how to close. I'm so full. I really don't want to stop, so I'm going to just say, I love you. God loves you. Pastor Diana loves you. We all love you. Y'all love us. And uh, <laughs> it's hard for me to come down because I, I didn't even get but like three points in my, in my book. So we're going we're gonna to go from here. Did you learn anything? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you this evening for your word. I taught all the way through. didn't even look at my clock. Lord, I just thank you for your word. <laughs> I thank you, Lord, for your grace. I thank you for the privilege to tithe that you trust us enough to trust us with something that belongs to you exclusively, that you believe in us enough that you know we will not withhold it from you because that's how much we love you, and we do love you. We love you so much that we are faithful to the tithe. So, Father, we thank you for all of your promises, including the one in Psalms 91 where you've given your angels charge over us to keep us in all our ways, and they bear us up in their hands. So as we leave this place, but not your presence. We thank you for your divine protection from all hurt, harm, danger, injury, death, damage, sickness, disease, and every work of the evil one until we come again together on Sunday to tithe, worship, give, and to be taught the uncompromised word of truth. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast that we don't want you to miss when we go live again. So if you live in the United States, sign up for Rapture Go. Text RAPTURE to 757-780-4949 and we'll send you a text message every time we go live. If you live outside the United States, then subscribe to our YouTube channel and like us on Facebook so you never miss one of our live broadcasts. We thank you for watching. God bless you.